Hello, I'm Sarah Tulloch, Talking Writing's Podcast Production Manager, and this is the Talking Writing Podcast. Please enjoy this week's episode and keep an eye out for next week's bonus episode. Enjoy. Hello, welcome, Claudia, and thank you for talking to us today in Talking thank Writing. Thank you so much. Thank you so Congratulations much for having me. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. It feels very strange. <laughs> <laughs> the Hurricane Book, A Lyric History, published by Rose Metal Press. Just to clue in the audience, because they don't know what I'm talking about yet, written by author Claudia Acevedo Quinones, who is joining us today. So, Claudia, like in the introduction, one of the first things that jumped out at me is that this this has been a 15-year or more than 15-year project, and you've published poetry, you were published for other book projects. What other book projects have you gone on to publish before the Hurricane book? Well, this is my first, this is my debut. I have helped with edited edited volumes. I used to work for the Brooklyn Rail. I worked for the Brooklyn Rail for more than 10 years. And they 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 had an edited volume of of a lot of their fiction excerpts. So I worked on that. I also had my own little zine that I put out. I put yes. out 10 volumes of that. I would it was it was called Found and I would leave it different places in the neighborhood like bodegas or bars or parking lots. I would tape them to rocks, you know, and and I'd leave my like an email on it in case people wanted to contribute. I did get emails a couple of times, but it wasn't as successful as I <laughs> as I wanted it to be. Um, but but the Hurricane book is is my first full length book um, that is only authored by me. I see. And what do you call this? Like. You talked about this in your introduction too. Like, at what point in your research and writing did you decide that it was time to publish this book or to query and to propose this book? Because I know you had toyed with different ways to tell the story, like mm-hmm. straight up getting information, yeah. like y- your family story. You have the genealogy, the family tree. And then how did you come up with the idea of it being bigger than that and talking about it using the hurricanes that have ravaged Puerto Rico. How did you come up with the concept of combining that in your book? Yeah, I, so yeah, this started, like you said, 15 years ago, I wanted to write a straightforward narrative. Um, I wanted to sort of retell the story of my maternal grandparents move from Spain to Puerto Rico. Um, hundreds of years ago. But then I abandoned that for a while. And it wasn't until I went to grad school, it was 2017. That's when Maria, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, September, that very first month I was in grad school. That's when it happened. And I was taking all of these workshops. uh, uh, The program I attended uh, was cross genre, like even though we had our, our our focus, we took courses and seminars in all genres. So that was already kind of my way into approaching a topic from many different perspectives and in many different formats. Yeah, when when the hurricane happened and I was having this completely different separate experience on my own, 
I really started thinking about leaving, reasons for leaving, why my great-great-grandparents left, why I left, what does that mean? Um, what does that mean for me now? So I thought, well, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I can only, this is the only thing I can think about right now. I'm thinking about my family back home. I'm thinking about my mother. I'm, I, I can only write hurricane poems. So I would just, I just started writing these poems about where my family was when a major hurricane passed through the island. So it started with that. And then I, in my fragment class, I, started writing about those same hurricanes or maybe I, I would use those hurricanes to launch into a different story about a family member or myself. So it kind of happened like that. It was organic, but also kind of a fragmented experience. And sorry, this is a very long-winded answer. No, um, it's, it's completely <laughs> on point because that's, you know, it's the process. Yeah, it was very fragmented, but it didn't feel stilted. It kind of just flowed. And I guess we can talk about this later, but like the, I have a big anxiety around truth, what truth means. And the best way I feel like I can tell a story is by using as many devices as I can to get at something. So I did the best I could and I had to hand in my thesis two years after that. So <laughs> I did it. There were a number of threads that I tried to follow throughout. And then it wasn't until a year after I graduated, like May 2020, that I started sending it out to small publishers that I knew had open open calls for submissions. There aren't that many, but they are out there. Yeah. I think I use submittable for for yes, this. Submittable, yeah. Yeah. And I had rem I had taken out like 30 pages or something before I submitted the the manuscript. They were 30 pages of very very personal mm -hmm. stuff that I that I had to add back in because my editor suggested I do that. And yeah, that's that's why I think at the time I was really fueled by all that was going around in the city. I mean, we were all grieving. We were marching. But also there were a lot of people, especially in my neighborhood, my community, my group of friends. We were doing all these things to lift each other up and we were making art at the same time. So it was kind of a jarring situation. But I think a lot of us just started experimenting a lot more. Yeah. So and it's funny how in the most difficult moments or crises, People default to creating or mm -hmm. people default to gathering, number one. And then like they want to create something out of it. And so mm -hmm. writing happens, art happens and all of that. And you, you mentioned it a while ago and you said we could discuss it later, but I think we should discuss it now. You know, mm -hmm. the concept, not the concept, <laughs> the definition of truth. Right. Um, because who determines what's true, right? There's the question of, how do you know it's true? How do you mm -hmm. know it's it's factual? You know, there's information that you can verify, but there's also truth that you experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that is the major difference between a memoir, let's say, and writing a biography. For example, mm -hmm. you would be focused on the only thing that you have control over in mm -hmm. a memoir would be your truth. 
right? Mm-hmm. As an author. And mm-hmm. so can you tell me more about why you said you had anxiety around truth and how you grappled with it as you mm-hmm. wrote your memoir? Yeah. That's the question. I think because of the way I was raised, the way I was the way I was conditioned, the way we all deal with each other and ourselves, like we kind of don't have a good grasp on what truth is, like an empirical truth that I guess maybe, I mean, I can only look at it from my own perspective, but I never trust my judgment. So at the heart of this book, maybe because it's my first book, but I'll probably be writing about this for the rest of my life, is like this struggle to define what truth is. Like in my mind, there's a percentage of the truth that is like unquestionable fact. And then there's this other percentage that corresponds to one's own emotional emotional truth, like our, our, our own emotional experience of an event. And then there's like, then there's time. Then there's that veil of time, memory, that kind of blocks a little bit off the, of that light off and maybe takes a little bit out of like each of those percentages. So I tried to give, I tried to be very intentional about giving each part its own thread and having each thread take up the same amount of time as the other, because I can't find one truth. I need to find all possible truths and give them all the same amount of space. So that was my way of balancing the need for truth in that narrative. It was very straightforward and there's nothing like... There's no editorializing, uh, right? No, <laughs> it's not like me. Like I don't have any aspirations trying to do anything formally inventive. Like I didn't go into it like that. I just thought that that was, that was a structure that I considered fair. And rather than limiting me, it actually helped me like propel like the writing it didn't restrict it because I felt safe it's like okay I I'm doing this so I know that I'm trying everything I can so now I can really like explore and write it's still terrifying because it's a memoir even though I don't like calling it a memoir (laughs) a lyric history a lyric history yeah (laughs) no Um, but um that's what is captivating about the book um there's a sense of um, I wouldn't call it compartmentalizing, but you give space to, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's why you did the genealogy. Because it's not just like a family tree that you slap on, you know, oh, this is interesting, this is my family tree. There's purpose to why you structured it that way. And a reader, me as a reader, felt that you weren't editorializing, you weren't pushing one theme or another. Mm-hmm. But you were giving space to stories that have survived through mm-hmm. the generations. And um, a lot of these stories don't have explanations or conclusions. Mm-hmm. They're just there, right? Yeah. And somehow they're enough. They're interesting enough. Um, but, you know, I would think, I, I was imagining like when you were probably writing it, you were probably thinking, but there's no conclusion. But there's no like, you know, there's not enough context. But taken as a whole, as a whole book, it makes sense, mm-hmm. right? And you were the core. Like you were actually the, the center holding all the stories together. 
would you agree that that was what you your intention was or is this a happy coincidence that a reader has interpreted from your book about the having me as the core or yeah. the the lack of conclusions well we can discuss both like yeah we can start with the yeah. lack of conclusions in the stories for example yeah the the lack of conclusion i it's something i've become very comfortable with i the editorializing part i had no no desire to do that i did not think that my opinion mattered in this case i wasn't even going to try to do that so i wanted to be like this is a collage here's this here's that here's this here's that and I think people, you can trust the reader to make up their own conclusions, you know, and everyone is coming into everything with their own reality, with their own experience. So they will find it if they want it. And it'll be different than another person's. So, yeah. And the the having me as the, as the core of it, I think was also important. And I tried to really drive it home in that author's note, <laughs> the introduction, because I don't want to to pretend like I know anything for sure. It's more like, if anything, this book is an invitation to just try, even though you're afraid, to tell a truth as you yeah. know it and invite questions if they happen. Yeah. So I wanted it to be me. I don't want to speak for anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. And I think it was beautifully done because... You mentioned a lot of historical details because when you tell a story about a person, you can't not, you know, mention the historical context or the mm -hmm. social context, especially if it's intergenerational mm -hmm. and um, the lack of need for it to be a neatly wrapped, you know, neatly wrapped narratives or like you're, you're not presenting yourself to be the utmost expert you know, just because that is your heritage. Exactly. Um, and that's where, you know, that can be a pitfall uh, for every writer. Like, that's my heritage. I know that, you know, I live yeah. that. And so I can write about it. Um, but you, your authority on that is still limited because, mm -hmm. you know, you, uh, people are not a monolith. Like, a culture is not a monolith. And mm -hmm. even immigrant experiences are highly, highly nuanced, very yes. different from one another. And so I think like the, the format of the hurricane book is something that was really interesting for me because even if it wasn't, even if, as you call it, it was a collage, it was mm -hmm. very woven together. And so, you know, the question, the next, my next question is about the format, like as a lyric history, you said that you came across this idea when you were in grad school, grad school and everything. But I think it's a very like courageous choice because I don't see a lot of examples of memoirs written this way. And, you know, creative nonfiction, this is more like the realm of creative nonfiction, right? So yeah. how do you balance, how did you balance like being, thinking about the reader, you know, thinking about engaging the reader but still staying rooted into t into telling this story as a history. You know, I'll be totally honest with you. I wasn't thinking about the reader when I was coming up with the format. 
I was thinking more about myself and whether I thought what I was saying was fair. And yeah, I did a lot of printing out of sections, putting them on the floor and seeing like, oh, like what's, I mean, I guess I am thinking about the reader via me. <laughs> yeah. Like what makes what makes more sense? Like, should we start with a map? That's like the first thing you look at when you start a yep. new journey, right? Yes. So let's start with a map. And then we'll have, uh, I already have these poems. Let's use these poems, these hurricanes as the chapter sections. Yeah. Like that should be easy enough. Yeah. What do I know about these hurricanes? Write that down. What do I know about the place where this hurricane happened? Write that down. Where was your family? So it's like I'm going from big to small. Yeah. Um, and and then it ended up kind of becoming kind of like a wa- wavy situation. And then there is sort of like a satisfaction that comes as a reader, at least for me, yeah. when I get into the flow of a book and I see, oh, now I know that I'm going to get a break from this thread and I can start something new. And I know exactly the kind format I'm going to be looking at. So it's like a little game. That's um, right. Yeah. Like you give you give prompts. It's almost yeah. like a prompt. Mm-hmm. And it I did find that that was my experience reading the book. Good. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, getting into the rhythm of how the story is being told, which one thing I wanted to mention was it echoed for me you know, the format of an oral history, almost. Yeah, like a chronica. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because that's basically, these are stories told to you, um, and you can only research the background so much, and then it's up to you to tell it, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. and, and kind of make it yours. Um, and then it's not always like a linear, a very linear way of telling. Um, it's more cyclical, and the use of hurricanes, the you know hurricane, which is seasonal, cyclical, mm-hmm. I think was really you know really amazing, really brilliant, really brilliant. Thank um, you. And how did you choose which historical information? Because there's a lot. Um, yeah. And again, I think that the choices of the historical facts that you included contributed contributed greatly to the personal stories that you told. So you you're not giving a lecture on Puerto Rico's history and like you know origins and whatever. How did you determine which ones you wanted to include? So I tried to write down what I thought was the chronological history of Puerto Rico. So That's I wrote cool, <laughs> it was it was a kind of a ridiculous exercise, but I was like, okay, write down everything you think you know. And then I would fact check myself. And as I fact checked, I found other things out. I found a lot of surprising things about our history that I never learned in school. And I've talked to other Puerto Ricans who said they didn't know about either. Like the statistics about like the the women who were used for the, the birth control pill trials all this stuff about eugenics that was horrifying and I had no idea about. And then when I find these things out, I'm like taken down all these different rabbit holes. And then I think, oh, where was my grandmother at this time? So then that leads me to writing a more 
personal or or biographical vignette. So it so yeah, like it started very bare bones. It's like, what do I think I know? And then I'm fact checking myself. And in the fact checking process, I find links or other books or other articles that teach me more about what was happening that time. And then from that, I kind of culled like from that what I thought was most surprising Mm -hmm. or I thought was like important for for this story. Yeah, it feels sometimes it feels like, oh, it's all been told before, like people mm-hmm. have been told this history before, but then surprisingly, there's so much unwritten because, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's state sanctioned history, there's mm-hmm. textbook history that who wrote it, you don't know, you know, mm-hmm. who determined who should be there. So if somebody, you know, because a lot of our audience are writers as well, somebody who is struggling about struggling writing a memoir and figuring out which truths or which information to include right and your book is a good example because it is uh i wouldn't say contentious history but it's a very deep history of colonialism it's Um, contentious like it's yeah yeah well yeah yeah it's yeah yeah colonialism and immigration you know, and displacement, obviously. And if somebody's struggling with all of these aspects of and writing a memoir, how, what would be your advice on narrowing it down or on finding the heart of their topic in a memoir? It's funny to think about it that way because it's your personal experience and mm-hmm. you're finding one topic out of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think helped you that you think would help other writers? I think leaning into the things I was most afraid to tell. I'm not saying that you should write or publish something that's going to re-traumatize you or that's going to hurt someone or yourself. I think that If you are afraid of something, it's for a reason. And if you find yourself being in a place where you you think you can write about it or maybe try to write about it, it's worth writing about, even if you end up not publishing it. But those things that scare you could lead you to think about related events or people or scenes that you find you can explore a little bit more. Yeah. So I've been like, I'm in the middle of my mini book tour and a lot of the conversations I've been having have been about fear and about specifically fear about like being perceived, being seen, the things we see and we don't see because of where we come from, all the, like the, the, the boundaries between information and us, like the ways we keep things from each, like the things we keep from each other because we're afraid. Um, I think there's so much creative power that can come from leaning into that. I think journaling helped a lot. And the same thing that I did for the historical sections, just write Mm -hmm. down everything that you think you know. Same thing with a memoir. 
if you were to tell yourself, you know, I'm, you have three hours, write the story of your life that give yourself those three hours and take a look at what you wrote and see what are the most like salient points. Cause obviously you're not going to be able to tell a story of your life in three hours, but whatever it is that you came up with is definitely the start of something. Yeah. Like what comes out when mm-hmm. it comes down to it, right? When you're you're pressured and you have to say something because writing is you know writing is an act of courage and i each time especially when an author like you writes something true or writes from your own experience you know a memoir or something a personal essay first person accounts for example and so like in this you know era of that gives a lot of value into performativeness, you know, being looking perfect all the time. Your 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 whole life is on social media. You know, we have no choice but to be on social media if you want to promote your book, for example. If you wanna yep. if you wanna be like a successful author, you know, you can no mm-hmm. longer avoid that. And so, you know, how does did it did it come into um, consideration at all as you were writing I know like 15 years ago it was a very different you know uh, environment but did it come because it's coming out now how has your book changed to adapt with the context of coming out with social media or you know or has mm-hmm. it not really been a factor it was not a factor but I was but I was thinking about it constantly for like those last couple of months before it came out. Yeah. Because it is incredibly personal. And I and you have no control over what people are gonna say, especially people who know you closely or people who are in the book who, even though the names have been changed, they'll probably know exactly who they are, yeah. you know. And there's no way to hide that. I have to post about it on my Instagram. I have to, because I'm also trying to help my editors sell books. <laughs> it's, you know, it is, yeah. st- we are still trying to sell books. So obviously my family is going to see it. There's no, like, there's no way they're not going to know or see it. And it didn't change the, the, the content of the book at all, or what I was going to do in terms of social media. I'm not very active on social media. So it's not like I was going to have this whole campaign. Also, I think there are, I mean, and I'm saying this not as a diss in any way to my publisher. I love them very much. But there are things that are way more important than my book right now to be talking about. So I am very grateful for this conversation, though, because I think everything ties into everything. But social media wasn't a major concern. And I think that also the fact that I was publishing with an independent press helps with yeah. that yeah they're not going to be as concerned with that publicity aspect of it they're ha- or having it affect the content if they believe and are behind the content yeah like they actually yeah the rose battle rose battle press is very mm-hmm. well known for really standing by their authors and yes. really giving good author care because mm-hmm. they're veterans in the industry as well and knows yeah. you know what's lacking but right now, like authors are, a lot of authors are dealing with, you know, 
feeling feeling what they have permission to share like mm-hmm. figuring out what they have permission to share especially nonfiction writers mm-hmm. nonfiction authors and so that's why i asked like the context like in, in writing your book like if you had plans to write another book for example that was also nonfiction. yeah i would be curious to know like how that process would go now that yeah i think i would do so many things differently also i don't think that i want to write another non-fiction. memoir <laughs> yeah well nonfiction, yes maybe yeah. but i don't think that i would want to write another memoir autobiographically leaned book because it was very very taxing emotionally and yeah I mean it's not like a revolutionary thing to say I think most people who write memoir or who are interested in writing memoir know that it can be can be really painful yeah but uh, somehow it's needed right like for example Mm -hmm. Why did you need it? I know that's kind of a strange question, maybe, but I would be curious. Readers, our our audience would probably want to know what was your motivation in putting a memoir out? Yeah, I have many answers, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to figure that out. A lot of times during the process, I forgot why I was doing it, like why I was putting it out there. And I... I actually wrote a a short piece about this for LitHub. I I felt a sense of obligation and I didn't really know where it came from. (laughs) And, but I knew that I had to do it. So I kind of made myself do it. I wasn't ecstatic about it. Like there was no point in the process where I felt like I am having so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> but that sense of obligation was so intense that mm-hmm. I felt like like if this is going to be my first book, I need to ha- I need to get this out. And I think a lot of again my conditioning was to keep quiet, to question myself, and this was in some ways the ultimate betrayal, but also a way for me to claim some of that back. And my like leaning into the very real fact that we need to tell our stories and that there is a way to tell a story that is generous, but also true to yourself. And I think that's where like the hardest part comes in. It's like being generous when you're dealing with pain. That's Um, amazing. And that's why reading your book, you know that I get the sense that you've probably written this so many times inside yourself, in your head even before you came to the page. I don't think anyone can write a memoir while they're still traumatized, while Mm -hmm. they go through trauma. Because as you said, you know, uh, even while writing is an act of courage, it also needs to be generous. That's a very good description of a good memoir, how a good memoir is written. There is a generosity there, making space for life and not just your perspective, right? I don't know that one has to be fully like healed. I don't think that that's a thing that we can achieve necessarily. Mm-hmm. I would be really like doubtful if someone told me they were healed and blessed <laughs> and perfect, but it, certain things get easier. And I think that's when it becomes easier to tell a story. Uh, but like you said, like 
we're not monoliths. Yeah. Our experiences are not unique, even though we're looking at them through a unique lens. And that's that's also important to remember when we're kind of doubting like whether or not we should say something. Yeah. Um, and that's important too during these times mm-hmm. when, um, you know, me personally and a lot of people I know really for the first time in so many years don't know what to say. Oh, don't know yeah. what stories to tell mm-hmm. and how to tell them, right? And so I think like I come to the signature question of our podcast about, you know, what is the use then of writing? What is the use of going on and telling our stories and creating through art? What do you think the purpose of it, Um, especially when so much is at stake in the world right now, right? Mm -hmm. As you said, like, oh, there are more important things than your book. But I don't know, maybe not, like, um, in, well, in the context of, I mean, in the context of that question, what right, you- right? I guess um, what I meant there was there are more important things than the publicizing of my book, definitely. Um, yeah. In terms of like you know having yes. like a social media campaign, um, yeah. But why is it important to our daily life? Why is it still important? What is the you? Well, the question that was posed to us, I guess, two years ago, that really mm-hmm. sparked all this, is that like, what's the use of it? You know, yeah. why do you need it? <laughs> it's like, what is the use of writing? Yeah, there are. There's just so there's so many different reasons, and that's the beauty of it that you you can choose a reason based on where you are. Because there are so many. Like art art and writing are about seeing. They're about looking at things differently, like from different angles. They can be, you know, they can be a call to arms. They're easy to remember. You can carry them with you. You can either physically or in your head, you know. That's why we would tell our ancestor stories like via poetry and and meter because we could remember them. Mm -hmm. We could remember them and pass them down. They're portable. And if we and because they help us look at things closely and like a child it in an open way it makes it makes what we're living with easier to deal with and it connects us to something bigger than ourselves i think it's very easy to feel disconnected and like there's a reason why you know when hurricanes happened when i was a little girl and thankfully i lived in a concrete house I felt like it didn't matter what our interpersonal issues were. Whenever there was something really horrible going on outside, I knew that we would sit around and we would forget all of our troubles and just tell each other stories and make each other laugh or play a game. And that's, I think right now, I think that is one of the purposes that writing and art have. Um, Not to mention information. Yeah. And it's information that gets at to the, to because of the way it is, because it's a contained thing, it gets to the heart of whatever matter yeah. we're dealing with. So there's less noise. We're getting right to what's important about this particular perspective. Yeah. And it's not we need it. That's right. Beautifully, beautifully put you know, the need for connection and you know how 
it contains it it contains portable or self-contained information and not not obligated to have all the information all at once Mm -hmm. because we are limited you know Mm -hmm. physically and mentally emotionally in how we process information and technology has just amplified everything and like inundated us with so much that you make a good point that you creating like a piece of art like a piece of writing your book an essay it doesn't have to be anything other than it is yes you know it that's something i'm still learning <laughs> yeah doesn't need to be like updated all the time or or right. complete in itself there's no there's no requirement other than to be and it reflects i guess it reflects how we how life is how mm-hmm. real life is and our need for connection right so what's next for you claudia like writing wise you're like i am done i am just like promoting my book right now <laughs> what's, done. what's next i want to do something completely different i have had so many Great things happen this year. Also, many horrible things happen this year. And I think that I need a little bit of time to play around. So I'm going to write some ghost stories. I am really into those at the moment. So ghost stories, maybe try some sci-fi. I've never written mm-hmm. sci-fi before. I'm just going to go all out. <laughs> um, That's the beauty of art, too. <laughs> yeah, just going to see what happens. Um, definitely fiction, though. Yeah. You're like no more. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not not for like 50 years if I make it that long. We're looking forward <laughs> to the next um stories, what whether fiction or nonfiction from you, Claudia. Thank um, you. Thank you so much for your time. And um I hope this has been fun for you as well. It has been really fun and really needed. <laughs> I didn't know that I needed this, but I feel I feel really good after this conversation. Another reason why we need <laughs> Yes, we need to talk like, to each other. <laughs> yeah, like your book brought us together. That's, you know, connecting people and talking about it. That's true. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Talking Writing Podcast. We're an independent literary site and nonprofit organization based in the Boston area, but with contributors from around the world. Since our founding in 2010, we've relied on donations to keep publishing and podcasting. To donate to TW, you can use the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or visit talkingwriting.com donate. And of course, feel free to drop us a line at editor at talkingwriting.com.